Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Bruce welcomes Charles Denyer, who wrote the book Texas Titans, George H.W. Bush, and James A. Baker, A Friendship in Power, to chat about the current political landscape. Then Bruce talks to Barbara Goldberg, founder of Wellspring Hope. The foundation raises funds and gets volunteers to drill water wells in Niger, bringing safe, drinkable water to one of the poorest nations on the planet. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by New Directions for Women. We know recovery. And good evening, radio listeners. I'm Bruce Cook, and this is Angels Radio, AMA 30, Southern California, Orange County, Los Angeles, and the Inland Empire. In these times of a lot of stress, a lot of COVID-19 stress, a lot of political stress, certainly social unrest, I thought we'd share our hour together tonight in the broadcast talking about things that are inspirational, hopeful, positive. We've got an interesting program, two very interesting guests. In our second half hour, you're going to meet Barbara Goldberg. She's in Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen, but her work, her passion, is in Niger, West Africa, where she and an organization known as Wells Bring Hope do just that. Not only do they bring hope, but they bring life. Wells Bring Hope and Barbara Goldberg drill wells in impoverished areas that bring water to people halfway around the world that she will never know, that none of the donors will ever meet, saving their lives and saving unborn children, and born children for that matter. That's our second half hour. You've got to hear this, and I'll tell you why. In these horrible times, the fact that People in America are donating their time and their love and their effort to a nation so far away, so remote, so unfamiliar in every way. Religion, culture, society, government. No comparison to our lives. That's called true humanitarianism. That's Barbara Goldberg in our second half hour. But first, I've got a really interesting guest tonight and an interesting topic, and a very appropriate topic, given what's going on right now in our political system. He is an author. He is also very involved in government. His whole career has been involved in government at all different facets, from the very highest position. He's coming to us from Texas, and he has written a book. And it's a very personal book based on personal knowledge and personal friendship with the people he's written about. It's titled Texas Titans, George H.W. Bush and James A. Baker III, A Friendship Forged in Power. The author, joining us now, Charles Denyer. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. How are you? It's an honor to have you on. Thank you. I have to start. I'm not a book critic, and I don't intend to be. I'm an interviewer. But I have to start by saying that I enjoyed the book very much. 
mostly because it's not it's not a political book per se. It's more of a tribute book. You are writing about two men whom you truly, truly admire, not just as politicians, but as people. And I found it very hopeful and uplifting, and I have a feeling that was your purpose. Tell me that. What was your purpose? Why did you write this book? Well, that was part of the purpose, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head. But if you look at these two individuals, regardless if you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, conservative, liberal, that's irrelevant. These were two gentlemen that really presided at the highest levels of government over some of the most consequential events in modern times. If you think about this, uh, Bush's single term as president from 1989 to 1993, you had the Tiananmen Square massacre, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the reunification of Germany, the collapse of the Soviet Union, the invasion of Kuwait, absolutely consequential events that no no political pundit expert could have ever predicted what happened. They happened. Bush handled them with the utmost professionalism. Uh, I think ever, if there was somebody ready for the presidency, it was George Herbert Walker Bush. And by his side was his able and competent Secretary of State and also his best friend, James Addison Baker III. You go into so many details of this, but since you brought up at the beginning of our time together all of the triumphs and tragedies that he that bestowed his presidency, the invasion of, of uh, Kuwait by Iraq was probably probably the worst in terms of how it affected him, his future, his legacy. And also, you go in, in the book, you talk about the assassination attempt uh, upon him that followed after his presidency and, and his stance on not going into Baghdad at the time of the invasion and not taking down Saddam Hussein at that point. Go into that a little bit. Correct. And keep in mind, most historians will look back at that decision and say it was the right decision. If you invade another Arab country without a U.N. resolution, we did not have a U.N. resolution to go after Saddam Hussein. The resolution was very straightforward. Kick him out of Kuwait. Bush and both Baker have written and spoke about this on numerous occasions. Going in and, and then trying to take Saddam Hussein out would have angered the entire Middle East, would have broken the coalition, and would have turned our allies into enemies against the United States. It was the right decision, and history looks upon it as the right decision. Unfortunately, it also, it also later on had tremendous effects upon both his son and other presidents, uh, with what happened later, but we would not have known that. We would not have been able to predict it. But let's move on. I want to backtrack to the beginning. One of the things I enjoyed most about the book was the personal life story of both men, but in particular, uh, President Bush. And, I, and you touch on this, but you don't really explain it. So maybe you can give our listeners a little bit more of a tease and, and, and really fill them in on why this very privileged young man born into East Coast wealth, did not follow the traditional path, as you write in the book, into Wall Street, banking, finance, and wealth, and instead, after private prep school at Andover, enlisted in the Army, served during World War II, and then came back, went to college, and then, again, having the chance to go back into that lifestyle that he was raised in, instead decided to buck out and go to Texas to Midland oil fields in the middle of 
nowhere. You talk about it as adventure, but there's got to be something more that would have motivated, motivated George H.W. Bush to be so independent. Can you elaborate? Hey, two things. Uh, number one, he was a young, restless, and anxious man. I think he was very curious, inquisitive, whatever word you want to use for that phrase, and wanted to break out and see the world. Uh, number two, I think he really wanted to make a name for himself. Uh, I think very clear that, yes, he could have uh, followed the life of Wall Street riches, but he did not. He wanted to make a name for himself. And I think that's really what this came down to, uh, those two things, curious, inquisitive, anxious, but again, uh, going out there on his own. And it was it was rough going for the first few years, um, as I speak about in the book. He had a, a vernacular that was East Coast. Uh, cowboy boots and barbecue were as foreign to him as anything. It definitely was a, a test uh, for young Bush in the first few years. Also a test for his young wife, Barbara, also a child of privilege from a wealthy New York family. You write in the Correct. book that in the first uh, their first stop in Texas was in a two-bedroom, one-bath duplex that they had to share with other women. How hard would that have been for this uh, woman of debutante status, and how do you think she handled it? I think it'd be. I think it was very difficult, and let's not forget uh, they shared that uh, duplex with women who had uh, questionable means of employment, and we'll leave it at that. I think that was your exact. <laughs> that was your exact terminology in the book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look, she loved George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, that was the love of her life, and she was willing to do anything and go anywhere with him. Um, it was an amazing love affair. It talks about the utmost loyalty of a, that a woman has for a man. I believe he once said in his diaries, most women would bitch like blazes, but Barb didn't. And you know what, Charles? That's a theme of your book, and it's also a theme of his life, and it is important that we talk about that on radio tonight because I don't know that that exists so much anymore. What do you think? I don't think so. I think I think to a certain degree people are out for themselves. I think you have uh, couples that are probably looking to uh, make their name or make their stake in the political world for different reasons. Um, but I think a a true love affair that that was uh, George and Barbara Bush, and they wrote it all the way to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And you know what? Many of our other 20th century leaders, modern presidents, had that same kind of support. Certainly Reagan did, uh, <clears throat> Lyndon Johnson did, Jimmy Carter did, uh, Jack Kennedy in his own way did. I mean, it's interesting. It's a sociological phenomenon that I don't want to spend our entire time together talking about, but it really came to light reading your book, thinking, you know, these these presidents, they made it because they had that kind of support. And the future is very different. I mean, we've we the future is very different, and uh, we will have to wait and see. But the other thing that I wanted to to bring up, which is also a theme in this book, is the idea of crossing party lines, crossing that aisle, dealing with the other side. It's something that is it does not exist at this time, and it hasn't for a while. Let me read just a quick paragraph that I found in the book that kind of sums it up. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, this is from uh, Texas Titans by Charles Denyer, and it reads, President Bush found a way to get things done with Congress. 
a Congress controlled by the other party. He respected uh, this, <coughs> the legislated branch, and lawmakers knew it. He never answered opposition with petulance or heavy-handedness. He worked faithfully with Congress. Any president owes at least that much to this country. How come we don't do that anymore, Charles? Because the left has become left or the right has become righter and the center has become narrowed. So the word compromise is now a dirty word in Washington. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever get that back. We've become such a a hardened electorate, if you will, that our views are either left or right, and there's not much room in the center anymore. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to get worse uh, unless we can bring in some centrists together to try and figure out the problems of this country. Well, where are they? We don't know. Uh, not to be too political, but I think the way to look at it is, you know, the old southern uh, centrist Democrats of Bill Clinton and those types, they're long gone. Uh, the left has become lefter, and a large faction of the Repub Republican Party has become very, very conservative, which really doesn't leave much in the middle uh, to play with. And we're seeing that play out time and time again. We see how Donald Trump won in 16. Um, I think it's going to become just difficult as this nation becomes very, very charged politically. So and you can't even have a, a discussion these days at the dinner table about if you're a Democrat or Republican or food starts throwing at each other. You're, you're not exaggerating, and people walk out and they don't speak to each other. That's right. What do you think President Bush would say if he were still living and seeing what was going on? And put yourself in his mindset, as you have done in this book, what advice would he give to, to President Trump right now? And what advice would he give to President-elect Joe Biden? I think he would be dismayed. That's the word I would use, and I've said that many times. Uh, the president rose above the fray. He even sent Donald Trump a very nice congratulatory uh, message on the morning of January 20th, 2017, when he was inaugurated. This after Trump had literally uh, obliterated uh, his son in the primaries and said some very harsh words. But again, he rose above that. I think the same to President-elect uh, Biden. He would reach out to him and discuss, you know, the importance of compromise and, and meeting in the middle. You know, Bush always rose above partisan politics. The 1992 loss to Bill Clinton was devastating to him. It absolutely just really, really set him back. But he found a true and meaningful friendship with Bill Clinton. It was real. Uh, Bush's chief of staff out of office, Gene Becker, told me, yes, they were very, very close. Bush was like the father Bill Clinton never had. So imagine that after that really, really contentious 1992 election. I want to talk more about that. we got to take a, a quick break, Charles. I want to talk more about that sure. and also the fact that that friendship has become generational and now is so close to George W. Bush. Um, that uh, among so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Bruce Cook. This is The Conversation. And I'm talking to author Charles Denyer. We will be right back. Do not change your dial. You reflect in this heart of mine. Angels Radio, AM 830. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, 
New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I just forget. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now a game of Commercial Chicken, brought to you by Progressive, where we see how long Flo can go without talking about insurance. Ready? Go. So, traffic has been crazy lately, right? And rush hour? Forget it. Nobody wants to let you merge onto the highway. But hey, somebody let you merge or you wouldn't be there, so drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. Okay, you win. We can't help but save customers money. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this too well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women have helped addicted women recover at our nationally recognized addiction treatment center in Costa Mesa. Our door is wide open. Take the first step. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Angels Radio, AME 30. This is that ice cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Bruce Cook, the conversation on Angels Radio tonight with Charles Denyer, author. The book, Texas Titans. Before the commercial break, Charles, I asked you to comment more on the friendship between George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, and also the transition that friendship has lasted with the younger Bush. What is that all about, and is there more to it than the public sees? Well, again, after the 1992 election, uh, that was a very difficult time for for George Herbert Walker Bush. But they they both joined the ex-president's club, and they both began to see each other uh, more regularly on ex-presidential, you know, engagements and matters. And then the, obviously, the huge uh, tsunami crisis uh, in Indonesia happened. And then the two got together. Really, um, they just formed a personal bond, as President Bush has said on a number of occasions. I feel like I'm the father Bill Clinton never had. Clinton lost his father at a very young age. 
Uh, Clinton would go out to uh, Kenny Bunkport uh, on a regular basis to see uh, former President Bush. They had a really good time together. In fact, again, Gene Becker, President Bush's chief of staff out of office, I said, how close were they? And she showed me her fingers and said, this close. They truly were. Um, they truly were like a band of brothers. And it's amazing that you can, you can set aside uh, that really tough, tough 1992 loss and become friends with your political enemy. But then again, uh, it was just politics. It, uh, it wasn't personal. And you describe in the book the many losses that George Bush had in his political career, the many setbacks, uh, the situation with Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter and uh, President Ford. There were many, and, and smaller races, Congress, congressional races. That says so much about a person's perseverance and their resilience. Speak to that. It does. He lost the United States Senate race twice. He was passed over for vice president of the United States during the Ford administration. He finished second to Ronald Reagan in the Republican primaries, had to drop out. Time and time again, um, he was not the winner, but he kept moving on, kept moving forward. Um, I think what really set him apart uh, was his unbelievable optimism. He truly believed in, in himself. He believed in the good of people. And James Baker... Uh, was very important in that he told then-candidate Bush in 1980, look, you've got to drop out. It's over. Bush didn't want to hear it. Baker went to the papers, uh, unknown to Bush, and told the media he's dropping out. Bush was furious at the same time. Um, he respected Baker's decision because he knew he wouldn't have made that decision. Someone else almost had to make it for him. Because of him dropping out, he was given the vice presidency and then became a two-term vice president, and then became president, and the son became a two-term president. That single act by James Baker created the Bush dynasty. Let's talk more about James Baker. You segued perfectly for me, since that's a very important half of your book. You say that the friendship began in Texas on a tennis court. Explain. It did. It did. It be began on the tennis courts of the Houston Country Club. Bush had recently moved to Houston. They were paired together as double partners, and ironically, they weren't the best tennis players. They both had weaknesses, but they both had strengths. When they came together, they were almost unbeatable, winning back-to-back -back doubles champions at the Houston Country Club. You take that same analogy, and it spills over now to the political arena. They were better together, very formal together, as a, as a dynamic duo, if you will, and they rode it all the way to the White House. You're very generous in your prose. You say they changed the world. Elaborate. I think they did because, again, uh, rarely um, has a president been faced with such consequential events. There are so many things that happen under Bush's watch. Freedom and democracy spread all throughout uh, Europe. The Soviet Union came to a collapse. We had to make sure that the nuclear weapons and the ICBMs were secured. Germany had to be reunified. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, Francois Mitterrand, they were absolutely terrified of, the, of a unified Germany. Unbelievable events. Iraq, the fourth largest army in the world, invades neighboring Kuwait. We had to kick them out. Just an unbelievable set of events uh, that were just so cataclysmic. And again, Bush, the way he handled those events uh, was just really unbelievable. Clinton did not have these, a, a series of events come his way. Obama did not. George W. Bush did not. Trump did not. Um, I would even argue Reagan didn't. Uh, Reagan set the tone for the, uh, the absolute collapse of the Soviet Union. 
But those events were just unbelievable over a four-year four period. Well, don't forget there was 9-11 in the middle of that. So let's – we won't... There was. There was. But I think it, it, if you really look at, at uh, how the world was transformed, and again, that's one of Bush's uh, titles of his book, A World Transformed, uh, I think it's, it's absolutely amazing. I want to touch on also another theme or subject, and it's something that the younger people, and I mean – a lot of younger voters turned out for this recent election like never before. And I think that uh, that has been proven. Hello? Are you there? Yes, Sorry. I am. I almost lost you. Something happened. Anyway, um, I was saying that the younger voters really don't have an appreciation of what sociologists and and uh, psychologists would call the concept of noblesse oblige. And it really belongs to the ge greatest generation. And George H.W. Bush was the last president of that generation. It was the end of that generation of World War II vets who came up through those years. And younger people today don't know the importance of that philosophy of being generous and being humanitarian and keeping your mouth shut and not calling people bad names every other sentence. We've lost that. And it's kind of a, a sadness. And I don't think it will ever come back. But how do we get back to the civility of Bush and Baker in terms of a partnership in government? Well, I think we get back to that by having views on, on the political aisle from both parties that are centrist, views that I think the vast majority of the American electorate want. America, I think, is a center, slightly right country, and it believes in centrist views, those views of George Herbert Walker Bush's single term, those views of Bill Clinton's two terms. I think if, if you pivot too far to the left, that in the view that the electorate saw with Obama, you get Trump. If you pivot too far with right-wing rhetoric, uh, you're voted out of office, which seems to be what's happened with Trump. So we have to get back to that middle ground, and I think if you get to that middle ground, it's that happy medium uh, that this country likes. But let me make one comment about what you said earlier. He was the last of a generation, and he lost re-election in 1992, and that was 28 years ago. You think about all the kids that were born after 1992 that are now voting. Right. It's really an unbelievable just transformation of this country. Uh, and to children that are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old who really don't know much about uh, that generation. I've asked many uh, millennials, do you know who Dan Quayle is? And I get a, no, who's that? Oh, it's the vice president of the United States. <laughs> you brought up Dan Quayle. He's, he's a, he is a fixture in your book also. And at one point you talk about the fact that Bush was very much a loyalist and he would not – his advisors were saying dump Quayle in re-election, but he wouldn't do it. Do you think that hurt him? Do you think that that cost him re-election or even in part? No, not at all. In fact, I think it would have hurt him even more because the single most consequential decision you make, which is picking the vice president, you're now telling the American public you made the wrong decision, so you're going to dump him. Not at all. President Ford, president Ford said the most cowardly and worst mistake he ever made was replacing Nelson Rockefeller with Bob Dole. Bush would have none of it. And was sticking with quail. Interesting. Uh, was extremely loyal. In our last few minutes together, sum up 
what your future holds. I understand that you are working on another book of import. Talk about it and, and share with the audience how they can buy Texas Titans. I believe it's just coming out. It is. It comes out um, Tuesday, and it's available on Amazon.com, as with most books and whatever few Barnes & Nobles are left out. Uh, but next spring, I do come out with uh, the official biography of former Vice President Dick Cheney. I am his personal biographer. So I think that's going to be a really revealing book on what I consider one of the world's most powerful and consequential figures of the last 50 years. There's only one Dick Cheney, and uh, we're going to tell that story uh, as it's never been told before. Share a minute and talk about what you're doing besides writing books. What A little bit about your background. Sure. So my background is about 20, 22 years in national security and cybersecurity. Um, I now uh, head up two firms that focus specifically on national security and cybersecurity issues. I've been in and out of uh, the world of Washington, D.C. for the better part of uh, a quarter century, and I've made meaningful relationships with uh, a lot of men and women of power and influence. So that's allowed me to uh, be given access to these individuals and write these books, but at the same time continue on uh, with my professional uh, my professional acumen here, which is, again, is national security and cybersecurity. Very interesting, Mr. Denyer. Appreciate your time on radio tonight in Southern California. Listeners, if you're interested, please check out Texas Titans by Charles Denyer on Amazon.com and other websites, uh, other book sites, I should, not websites, book buying sites. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your insight again tonight, Charles. Good luck with the book. I hope you'll come back and talk to me again, especially when the the next book comes out in the spring on on our former vice president, Mr. Dick Cheney. Absolutely. We had a great time, Bruce. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Denyer, Texas Titans. We're going to take our half-hour break. When I come back, we're going to switch gears, and you're going to meet a remarkable woman. There's a way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, feel so holy. I don't do well with the drama. Angels Radio. AMA 30. If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend, is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. I can't get out of bed. My stress is overwhelming. I feel helpless, hopeless, and can't sleep. How do I help my child? I need someone to hear me now. Who can I turn to? NAMI Orange County's Warm Line offers free, safe emotional support and resources 24-7 that are available to you right now. To call, text, or chat, go to NAMIOC.org. That's N-A-M-I-O-C.org. Talking helps. Funded by Orange County Healthcare Behavioral Health Services, Preventions and Intervention, Mental Health Service Act, Prop 63. 
Charlie's management team is currently a team of one. Yeah, I got, I got a meeting, but uh, you keep up the good work. Can you fix that display for me? Did Steve show up today? It's time to hire. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. The moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Indeed delivers two and a half times more hires than the other branded job sites combined, according to Breezy HR 2019. Visit Indeed.com credit and get a $75 credit for your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. If the woman you love, your mother, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, let us help. New Directions for Women, a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility, has the answer. Since 1977, we have helped over 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sober, healthy living, restoring love, hope, and dignity to them and their families. Don't wait another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Angels Radio. AM 30 say something comes out of Don't you love that music, that transition music? Thank you to Chris in the booth. I'm Bruce Cook. Sunday night on Angels Radio, AMA 30 KLAA, Orange County, Los Angeles, and the Inland Empire. We're switching gears. I hope you heard the first half hour of our program tonight with author Charles Denyer fascinating look at the past at the presidency and at civility and dignity in the white house but we're leaving that behind and we're changing gears but we're not losing sight of a very similar objective and that is humanitarianism dignified behavior selfless behavior doing something just for the right reason to do it nothing expected in return at the beginning of our show tonight, I went on a bit about the work of Wellsbring Hope and its founder and organizer, Barbara Goldberg. This is an organization that raises funds. It's based in Los Angeles, and it raises funds to build wells in Niger in West Africa, the poorest country in the world, according to the United Nations. They've been at it now for a number of years, and they've built a lot of wells. And you say, well, why? It's so far away. What do we know about Niger? What do we know about the culture, the people, the religion, the government, the society? It's so far away, and we have so many problems to deal with here. Well, guess what? Water saves lives no matter what continent you're on. And children die, and women and children and, their, and husbands and men die from poisoned water. So this organization drills holes in the ground and brings up clean water and saves hundreds of thousands of lives. Joining us now to talk about unselfish charity is a woman who was a big-time 
marketing executive on Madison Avenue in New York, founded a big firm, moved to California at some point with family, and today her focus is digging those holes and saving lives. Barbara, are you with me? I am with you, Bruce. So nice to be with you. It's always good to hear from you. It's kind of our annual gathering here. Talk to yes. me. Tell me what's happening in your life. Tell me what's happening with Wellspring Hope, but bring me up to date. Well, this has been a tough year for all of us, including nonprofits and including us. But when you are doing something like saving lives with safe water, you just can't stop. And it's a time for a great deal of creativity, a great deal of sensitivity on the part of us to our donors, recognizing that maybe people won't be able to support us this year, but they're still there in spirit, and you need to honor that. So it just makes things a little more challenging, but the work goes on. It's been 12 years, and, you know, as you said, Bruce, the water is there. All we have to do is get it up. What's involved? I know that you have to raise a certain amount of money. I believe it's over $6,000 for each well. So how do you go about telling your donors, I need six, I, for, you'll have to share the exact number. I need to raise this money to build this one well in this one town to help this many people. What do you do? Well, by the way, it is $6,100. And that money is matched. Every donation is matched, matched by a partner, World Vision. They drill all of our wells. They're the largest humanitarian organization in the world. They drill all our wells, and what's most key when you're doing this kind of work is maintaining those wells. And we have to teach the villagers how to do that. Why? Because we don't want to be, you know, big brother or big sister coming in and saying, here's how you do it. We want to empower people to teach them how to do it themselves. And so they, they take ownership of, of that well. We, we have an annual fundraiser. And like everyone else, uh, most nonprofits had to get really creative this year. How do we do a virtual fundraiser? For the past you know, 10 years, we've been doing very, very beautiful, exciting, fun fundraisers. But when you're doing it on Zoom, that's a challenge. And I'm, I'm thrilled to say that we had a really successful fundraiser, not only in terms of, of reaching our goal, which was 20 wells, you know, impacting the lives of around 18,000 people, but people had fun. So that was an exciting thing to be able to pull off. And that just was last month, yes? Yes, it was. Pretty good. How many wells did you say? 18 new wells? It was 650 wells. No, no, no. How many you raised this in this oh, uh, fundraiser? 20, 20 wells. 20 wells. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Yeah. I want to tell you about something really exciting, though, if I could, um, that relates to young people and it relates to the coronavirus. Um, can I? Is that okay? Of course it's okay. This is your half hour. <laughs> Thank you. Well, as uh, in early March, April, as, as the coronavirus was taking hold, the kids were doing remote learning. Many of them got bored, and they contacted us. And to volunteer match, anyone can volunteer with us. But these kids, there were about 20 of them who said, we, we want to do something. What can we do? 
And we didn't have <laughs> that many things for all those kids to do. And so I started a program called the, the Ambassadors Program. These are high school students from all over the country, from all walks of life. And we said, let's teach them how to do community outreach, meaning going into a community, reaching out to uh, an organization, a religious institution, a rotary club, to say, here's this cause, and we'd like you to help us. How do you do that? So we taught them how to do that. And we had them use, of course, Wells Bring Hope, us, as their guinea pig to practice. And we did one successful program in the spring. Um, these kids made, it, made videos. They, they did an incredible job. And we are more than halfway through our second ambassadors program. And you know, we, we really believe, I very, very strongly since we started, believe that it's our role to make these young people, if they're interested, of course, into global citizens, to give them the opportunity to know about the problems in other parts of the world, you know, and what can they do? You know, we all sit back and say, well, you know, well, what can I do? I'm one person. Well, you know, our, exam our organization is an example of how a small group of women came together and said, well, let's do something. And so these kids, in much the same way, picked up on that thread and said, okay, we understand what this is all about, and we're going out into our communities to do something, to get people to be aware of what's being helped and hopefully donate to us. A couple of controversial points to bring up. One is World Vision, I believe, is a Christian organization. Is that not correct? That is correct, and I'm so glad you brought up the topic. Let's talk about it, because in today's world, people are suspect of any kind of religious organization that might be proselytizing poor people in other continents. How does this fit in with everything? Well, I was the first one who said, what? What? A faith-based organization? No, we don't really want to partner with them. But... Uh, and, and know also that the man who inspired our cause is um, Gil Garcetti, former L.A. County District Attorney and father of, our, of the current mayor of Los Angeles. And so I asked him that question. He says, well, you check them out. And I did. Um, and they do not proselytize. I was most concerned about that, Bruce. They do not, they, as a Christian organization, as a faith-based organization, their, their mission is to help people in need, whatever their religion, wherever they live, whatever their beliefs, and that's what they do. Uh, and we have been over there many times. I've worked very, very closely with them, and uh, they've been the best partner. And they do not in any way proselytize, or we would have been at the door a long time ago. Well, that's really important to convey uh, because, frankly, it's an issue today and has been for a while, and it's great to know that and to clarify it because, you know, we got a lot of people on all sides of the coins yelling at each other these days, which brings up my second point, which you brought up, and that is teaching children to be global citizens, teaching adults to be global citizens. There is a very strong movement, not only in America, but in other parts of the world, that says, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I just need to take care of and be present in my part of the world, my country. Certainly has been true here in America. But issues like 
climate control and nuclear proliferation and uh, so many other things cannot be handled just by one nation, even a strong country like America. If things aren't handled on a global basis, there can't be progress. I totally agree with you, Bruce, and I'm so glad that you brought that up. Water is a basic human right. Now, the World Health Organization says that there is no other human intervention that you can do to have more impact than to give people safe water and sanitation, meaning latrines and how to use them. And that is, that is as, as global citizens, um, which I feel we all should be, because we're all connected. We are all connected. And water, the issues that are going on now in Africa, we have them beginning in, in this country. But, but, you know, nobody's children in this country aren't dying from unsafe water. We have a lot of problems, and children are suffering, and they are malnourished, all of that. But they're not dying, thank God, from contaminated water. I've talked to women, mothers in Niger, many of them, and to hear them say, I have no choice but to give this water to my children. They will either die of dehydration or they will die of contaminated water. Which has got to be the most horrible thing you could possibly hear. That's right. And as a mother, as a grandmother, uh, my heart goes out to them. And every time I'm there and talk to these women, um, I can't help but want to do more and more and more. You know, this is, this is kind of funny. Uh, a financial advisor said, oh, we want your account. You know, uh, we, can, we can invest your money. I said, no. You know, our money doesn't stay in our account very long. The minute we have $6,100. It's out the door. It's out the door. It's in a hole. It goes in a hole. Exactly. (laughs) What I think of is one in one day. If I wait one day, a child, two children, or more could die. Interesting. That's what I think about. So I am, you could say, a bit driven because I, I have touched these women, I have talked to them at great length, and I, ha- I have mourned with them. Um, probably one of the, the most haunting memories I will ever have, I can't imagine anything more, more haunting, is to talk to a woman, a woman who lost 11 out of 12 children from yeah, the water. We can't conceive of that. Yeah, it's beyond horrible. Yeah. We have to take a quick break, Barbara. Uh, but I have to ask you a couple of questions to think about during our break. Where are the men? That's number one. And the second question is, I know that providing this water and digging these wells leads to greater opportunities, not just for taking care of people's health and lives, but also has opened up some some opportunities to grow their business and grow their economy. I want you to talk about those two things when we get back. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. This is The Cook Conversation on KLAA Radio. Also on your favorite podcast, by the way, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Apple, you name it. Go to the podcast. 
We'll be right back. Don't go away. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Every day, friends, family, and neighbors struggle with emotional pain. For some, this can include thoughts of suicide. Though the warning signs can be subtle, they are there. Go to suicideispreventable.org and learn how to recognize the signs, start a conversation, and connect someone to help. You have the power to make a difference, the power to save a life. Learn more at suicideispreventable.org. Supported by the Orange County Healthcare Agency through the Mental Health Services Act. Does learning a language feel like this? No habla espanol. Hablo. It's hablo? Yes. It's hablo. <laughs> when you learn a language, you want to actually use it. Babbel is designed with that goal in mind. Since my husband is from Guatemala, I'll apply what I've learned in Babbel to our real-life situations. The app is so easy to use, and it's so practical. It helps you learn things that you will actually need. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at babbel.com. That's babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this too well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women have helped addicted women recover at our nationally recognized addiction treatment center in Costa Mesa. Our door is wide open. Take the first step. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Angels Radio, AM 830. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook. This is the Bruce Cook Conversation with Barbara Goldberg this half hour on AM 830, KLAA Radio. I went to commercial and left you with two questions, Barbara. Where are the men? And how is this changing the economy and the culture in these communities in Niger? And I will sort of preface your answer by 
saying, I know that the men are working to try and hold things together, and it's the women's responsibility to go for water. But explain all this, how it works, and, and, and how come, or maybe I'm wrong, how come there aren't more men involved with the water process? Why is it falling just to the women? Great question, Bruce. Because it's the responsibility of women and girls to get water. That's by culture, by tradition, over generations. So women and girls walk an average of four to six miles a day to find water. And that's water that often is contaminated, causing death and disease. So once a well, a deep water well, is drilled in a village, women no longer and girls no longer have to do that, which means girls go to school and they're able to realize their dreams, their visions for the future. Uh, girls marry later when they stay in school. They have children later. Their families are healthier. And women, all of these women are very, very savvy about knowing, you know, if I could use my time and work and earn money, that would really help my family. And that's what they want to do. So when they no longer have to walk for water, they're able to work. But these are women who are uneducated. Many of them have never, they've never handled money. They, most of them don't even know how to count. So part of our program, Bruce, is educating them on how to start their own small businesses. And they form savings groups and support each other and help each other. And that transforms the entire family and their village for generations to come. And here's where the men come in. Now, the men, instead of leaving for 10 months a year to go to a, a big city to try and earn money during the dry season, because there's nothing for them to do in the village, now they don't have to go away. They stay in the village, and they help raise crops. And the whole family works together as a unit. And the, the marriage is, is a partnership, and women uh, are able to truly, truly contribute. And that's life, that's life changing. And then the girls, the girls want to do the same thing. It is life changing, and it is world changing. It is. It's making a real difference. How does that make you feel these 13 years, I believe, of doing this? Well, you know, Bruce, it's something that I never envisioned myself doing. I have to admit that. Um, I, I never really wanted to run an organization uh, when I worked. I worked pretty much, you know, with a small group of people. Uh, but there isn't anything that, that I could envision doing with my life because when you know that you're really save, truly saving lives, um, nothing, nothing could be better. And I don't have... Um, you know, this is, quote, my retirement, but, you know, I don't believe in, in that. <laughs> you know, it's just changing directions, steering you know, your ship in a different direction. And, um, and that's what I've done, and that's what I encourage, you know, people to do. You mentioned that Gil Garcetti was an inspiration for this. Talk about that. Well, Gil spoke to a group of women that, that I had started, a group called Salon Forum. And Gil, when he left office, Bill uh, left the DA's office, <clears throat> went to uh, West Africa to observe the water crisis, and he came back committed to speaking to community groups and letting them know about this problem and trying 
trying to get support, and he did that very, very effectively. And he spoke to us, and Gil has always been a photographer, an internationally known uh, photographer exhibited to the United Nations, and so he showed us his photographs and told us stories about the women and girls who he talked to in Niger. And that very next day, uh, I sent out an email to everybody who was there and said, should we take up his cause? So we started a grassroots operation, saying, not intending to start an organization, but we said, okay, well, let's try for five wells by the end of the year. This was March. By the end of the year, we had drilled 10 wells. And we just kept on going. So Gil has and continues to be an inspiration because he continues to talk to community groups and is... Um, you know, a great believer in supporting women and girls. So we owe him a lot. May I read some of, some of the stats that go with your organization? Please, yes. <laughs> One out of seven number of children who die before the age of five, primarily from contaminated water. 61% the percentage of rural villagers who lack safe water. 96% the percentage of people that have no access to sanitation in Niger. Between four and six, the number of miles women and girls walk each day to find water. 650, the number of wells that your organization has funded as of this month. 670,000, the number of lives that have been transformed by these wells. 100% the percentage of every donation that goes directly to a well. And finally, you've shared this already, $6,100, the cost of one well. Barbara, in our last couple minutes, tell the listening audience how they can purchase a well to save some lives in Niger. Where do they go? Please go to our website, wellsbringhope.org, and just click on the Donate button. 100% of everything you donate goes directly to funding wells, and that's because Panda Restaurant Group, Panda Express, funds our operating expenses. And that's how we were able to do that. And we're an all-volunteer all organization, with the exception of one director of operations. So we have our, our overhead is, is just a little over $100,000. That's it. So I am speaking to you from uh, our international headquarters, which doubles as my home. <laughs> so we have a very low overhead. <laughs> but $6,100 funds... Well, it's an endless supply of safe water, Bruce. Um, you know, I love when you talked about the kids, the ambassadors group. I'm sure you've thought of this, but every high school in America should raise $6,100 a year and buy a well every single high school. If they did that, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You'd be out of business. <laughs> Oh, that should only happen. And yes, if there are, if there are kids out there, any high school students, or if you if you know of high school students, your kids, your grandkids, please uh, have them uh, 
you can email me at barbara at wellspringhope.org, and we are going to start up another um, program in January. So we welcome all students. It's free. It's eight weeks Saturday mornings for one hour. That's it. Wells, we teach you how to edit, edit some film. Perfect. Wellsbringhope.org, people, or barbara at wellsbringhope.org. Our time is up. Always wonderful to talk to you. Stay safe, stay well, stay happy, keep up the good work. Thank you for being on. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate this time with you. Always, Bye-bye. always do as well. Radio audience, I'm Bruce Cook. The Bruce Cook conversation ends tonight. If you want to hear it again or hear other episode, go to Spotify or Anchor or Apple, any of the podcasts. But make sure you stick to radio on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock here on AM 830. Have a wonderful, safe week, everybody, and we'll talk again real soon. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>